Entrepreneurs Over 40, episode 45, with author Ogburn Charles talking about writing his first book, Passages. It starts off with lights in the sky over an Alaskan sky, which is the Yukon I chose from there because I used to live in Alaska, so I'm very familiar with the Yukon Basin itself. And some really strange things do go up there. It's actually based in Native American myth and lore, which is prevalent throughout the entire book with a heavy tint towards science fiction and the metaphysical. You're listening to Entrepreneurs Over 40, the show for somewhat mature entrepreneurs and side hustlers. And now your host, Greg Mills. Our guest today has spent a life living with and a part of many peoples of the world. He has seen the deserts of Arabia to the ice fields of Antarctica. He has traveled the world listening to legends and myths and seeing them firsthand. He finally settled in the States and has gotten to what's important, his life as a husband and father. He's just released his first book on Amazon. Introducing the one, the only, Ogburn Charles. Ogburn. Yes. Can you take a few moments and fill in the gaps from that intro and bring us up to speed with what's going on in your world today? Uh, my world is I own a 25-acre, uh, <laughs> you name it. Right now it's a lot of uh, mess, a 25-acre farm. And I'm setting it up to be an active farm so that we can live off the land like our ancestors did. And we're going to open up a uh, farm market probably in the latter part of the summer around August so we can sell our crops to other people who may need them more than we do. Okay. Will this be your first attempt at farming or do you have some experience, you know, in your past or? Uh, experience, yes. I was raised on a farm. Uh, the only thing that I never really got uh, too good at was uh, raising hogs, cantankerous bunch. I've heard they can be smelly, too. <laughs> Believe it or not, a very short story. Uh, when I was about seven years old, I had this, uh, you know, the dog latches, or the hatches that come through the uh, door and let your dog in and out. Well, I had a pig that came in and out. It was a pot pig, a small one. I named it Betty, and it turned out to be my dinner pig sat next to me every night when I had dinner. I ended up feeding it right there. Okay. When you said dinner pig, I was thinking, oh, that ended up being my dinner. No, she, nobody would touch her. She was my second pet. My dog looked at her and go, really? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's cool. I've heard pigs are really smart. So oh, This one was. <laughs> yeah. Now, obviously coming from a farming background that's pretty entrepreneurial was there any other entrepreneurs in your family did anybody have their own business or for that matter were there any authors in your family authors yeah there's been a bunch of them um personalities yeah uh if you go back in time in the family annals uh, one of them was actually the mayor of new york city back in the 1800s okay and then there's up in the, the northern part of New Jersey, there's a place called uh, Hewitt, which is, we found it, it's part of my family. Okay. We're all over up there, and we've been down here in the uh, Ohio Valley for some time. There's quite a few entrepreneurs in the family also. My brother started his own business, and he failed his first two attempts. The third one, I believe he's going to make it right now. We've been talking a little bit, and we'll see if that actually works for him. Okay. Are you helping him with that or just kind of advising or? 
I'm just watching from the sidelines. He'll do it himself. We've always been an independent bunch. It's either the like sink or swim. Okay. I can understand that and respect that. Now you mentioned, uh, you know, that you come from a line of authors and is Ogburn Charles, is that your, is that your pen name or your real name? No, that's my father's name. Okay. I chose that to honor him because he died when I was very young and I never really got to know him. Okay. Well, I think he'd be proud of what you're doing now. I can only hope so. We'll find out in about 50 years when I pass on and I go visit him. So it was, <laughs> now you've, re, you've just released your first book, or at least I believe it's your first book. Is that correct? There's actually been three others previous to that, but they weren't put out in the public market. I wrote them for other individuals and they uh, used them for uh, gaming, uh, short stories, and children's hospital, a few other things. Okay. The first book actually out in the public is called Passage. Okay. Now, just riffing off that question, do you still retain the rights to those other books? No. I okay. Know. I just gave it wholly to them. They can do as they please with it. And okay. I'm so, more than proud of doing it for them. So we won't see those come up at, at some future point? No, you shouldn't. If okay. you do see them and everything else, I'll recognize them. They'll just go, well, that's the way it goes. Okay. Now, let's talk about Passages. Can you give the audience a brief synopsis of it? Yeah. Uh, first off, it's five-star ratings on uh, Amazon right now, and everybody that's picked up the book has told me that they can't put it down. One person read it from cover to cover in one day. I was impressed. Wow. Yeah, and they gave me a five-star rating, and I was like, oof. Okay, well, we know we're on the right track, but getting to the question. The book is an action-adventure sci-fi multi-genre book. I call it a work, so if I switch back and forth, you'll know why. The, uh, it starts off with lights in the sky over an Alaskan sky, which is the Yukon I chose from there because I used to live in Alaska, so I'm very familiar with the Yukon Basin itself. And some really strange things do go up there. It's actually based in Native American myth and lore, which is prevalent throughout the entire book with a heavy tint towards science fiction and the metaphysical. The work itself took me over two years to put together. I based all of it on the myths of uh, several different Native American tribes, and I threw in some extra stuff that I remembered from when I was living in Southern Africa down there with the Abutus. And I put it all together and it seems to work. They love it. Okay. Now you incorporate all kinds of different legends and myths, some of which, you know, our audience will be familiar with like Bigfoot or the Yeti, but others they won't be familiar with. That's true. I mean, one person put it to me in an email that I got recently. The book's like an e-ride from Walt Disney World. You don't know where it's going to end, but it's thrilling the whole way. Mm -hmm. So Bigfoot is included in the book um, in a certain particular passage. I'm not going to out myself. Uh, basically, read the book. You're going to love this book. If you like Indiana Jones, you're going to love this book. Without giving too much away, can you at least kind of give us the... the plot or the intro to it yeah um two gentlemen lead characters which are prevalent throughout the entire book 
Uh, Tom and Frank have lost someone very near and dear to them, and the U.S. military is not coming forward with uh, the right answers, and so they decided to move to the area where their son, or his son, Tom, was lost. They've been looking for him ever since. He has this sixth sense feeling that he's still alive, but can't understand why, so he goes to the Indian sacred lands all the time that they're actually forbidden to go to, but he goes anyway to find his son, because he believes he's there and alive. In his desk, he has his journal with several pages torn out. Those pages, I'm not going to out the rest of the book, we'll just say that he gets what he needs to get the job done. I've read the book myself, and I can attest that there are a lot of different twists and turns to it. Yeah, yes, that you, you right. Some that you will see and some that you won't see coming. Yeah. So. I don't like the way I write my books, as you probably know, I don't like people being able to guess what the ending is before they get past the seventh chapter. Uh, so it never happens. Uh, I've asked people to proofread the book before, well, many weeks ago, and they all said basically the same thing. They can't figure out where it's going to go. They say it's going to go left and it goes right. It goes right and it goes up. No, I was not going to guess that the butler did it, but <laughs> in this case, the butler scratches his head going, "I didn't know." No. And Brett's over there. We had a butler. Uh, yeah, well, who knows? I mean, he's running up and down the steps. Yeah. So, <laughs> how are sales with it? Sales are modest right now. They flatlined for a little while. Um, when it first came out. Obviously, you have the intro and the hard parts of getting it out to the public, and a few here, a few there. Then it pretty much flatlined, and I picked up the book marketing again, and it started picking back up modestly. It's not what I would call heavy right now, but it's modest. When you mention book marketing, kind of walk us through that process, what that looks like. A lot of reading. A lot of reading, a lot of uh, listening, a lot of reading in between the lines. There's a lot of people out there who are saying, I can market this for you for this price. I can market that for you for this price. Some of them are good deals. Some of them aren't bad deals, but they're all pretty much legit. There mm -hmm. are those that aren't. You have to watch those. The I haven't marketed out right now. I found a site called D2D, Drafted Digital. Yeah. And I put the book out on it, and it's marketed out worldwide on... 13 different channels. So you're not exclusive with Amazon? No. When I first began with Amazon, I was exclusive, and I found out that that wasn't the deal that I wanted to go through because it was limiting my marketing abilities. So I decided to go with Draft Digital, which kept it on Amazon anyway. I'm on Barnes & Noble, Roku, uh, Rokatan Roku, which I think is a Canadian version. Viblio, mm -hmm. uh, uh, Barnes and Noble, about a half a dozen more that I don't ever remember right off the bat. Okay. So you submit it through there, and then what do you have to do to get eyes on it, so to speak? They have a um, dashboard that I log on to every other week just to check it because. Like I said, with the farm, I'm busier than all, and with the extra writing I'm doing, which we'll get into in a minute, I think. The uh, 
dashboard tells me that it's published to each one. It tells me the published date. It was um, the 10th and the 11th that it was actually uploaded to all of those different sites and went hot around the world. I'm marketing to India um, because of the events that are going on with the war. I'm not marketing to China or I'm not marketing to Russia at this time. But I'm all over the world everywhere else. So, what inspired you to write passages? <sighs> my family is um, multi-ethnic. My father was English. My mother is Native American. And growing up, I met, uh, you probably recognize this name. You remember uh, Chief Halftown? I do not know the name. Okay. When I was a very little boy, I met Chief Halftown. He was of, if I remember correctly, I could be an error, but I don't know, was some of the years ago. I think he was a chieftain of the Cherokee tribe, but I'm not sure. And my mother introduced me to him. It was a big moment in my life because I remember the uh, headdress of the chieftain with the eagle feathers. And throughout my entire life, I've listened to the stories of different tribes. My grandfather was a Cree. Okay. And I've listened to their tribal stories also. I've said some of their powwows, some of their fires. The elders have taught me their stories. And the same with the English side. My father taught me all about the English people when they came to America and all of that. That's how I got started with this. And it piqued my interest. And I traveled the world and learned more. We're all one big happy family out there, although... You never know about what's going on these days. Yeah, I'd say we're all one big family, whether some of our distant cousins recognize that or not. I don't know about happy. Yeah. That would be the goal. So how old were you when you met Chief Halftown? I think it was about six or seven. That had to have made, that had to have made a huge yeah. impact on your life, I would think. It did immediately. Well, pretty much right after that, I... For some reason, I can't explain it to this day. I started spending huge amounts of times out out of the woods, mm -hmm. either by myself. There was a clearing not too far from uh, my grandmother's house. My grandmother's house is located right next to a five six hundred acre farm. We had a fifty acre farm out behind her house, and I went over there and I just followed a path and it led me to a clearing. And there was a big rock in the middle with uh, etchings on it from I think it was either the native. Americans or something from generations ago I spent tons of time back there just sitting there and wondering and that was this is a mystical time in my life and it still continues to this day I still find stuff all over the place okay well, getting back to the book how many words and pages is it roughly it's around 260 pages, so a little over 70,000 words, I think. Okay. How long did it take you to write that? The first idea, the first draft was about two years ago. Oh, wow. Yeah. We'll get into this in a little bit, but I'm thinking that you've kind of really ramped up your writing style. You've gotten quicker since then. Uh, yeah. I mean, I have several other books that are sitting here practically done right now that uh, I just need to put through editors and others and have some people proofread it. I'm looking for people that, if they're interested, they can contact me at my email. My uh, 
author Arbor Charles at uh, gmail.com. And I'm looking for like 10 or 12 people that want free digital copies. I'll send them a copy. All I ask in return is that you tell me what you think of the book. Okay. Would these people also be potentially beta reading for you at some point? If they chose. It's okay. up to them. Let's go back. You've got a book written. What are your yep. next steps? <sighs> My next steps. I've got several other books that I've nearly completed. Ancients, Volume 1 to Set of 2, will be ready by probably March, late March or early April. And then I'm trying to figure out if I want to put that out traditional or self-pub. If I put it out self-pub, it goes the way that the other book had. If I put it out traditional, I have a publisher. I'll talk to him. Self gives you a lot of channels, a lot of control. A mm. lot of control. Uh, you can set your prices. You can change your prices daily. You can run specials. You do this, that. Uh, that's basically the Amazon platform. With the others, uh, the D2D platform, highly recommended, by the way. These guys are very friendly and great to work with. So, and they're free, by the way. Did I say free? Yes. Oh, wow. Free. I like free. <laughs> <laughs> Who doesn't? Yeah. Um, basically, self-pub is everywhere at the same time. Whereas traditional, you are locked into their system, their way, and it gets done in their time. Okay. So if you have the time to wait... That's fine. If you're anxious, sometimes like me, you put things out in a hurry. I could see where both would have their merits. I think I would probably lean more towards self-publishing, but it couldn't hurt to, to experiment and see how the uh, publishing channel, if how big of an audience they can expose you to and how it takes yeah. off from there. Well, I'm looking for... Uh really good literary agent right now so if anybody's out there listening hint hint give me a call you know um yeah we'll have your contact info at the end of the show we'll let you put that out oh cool thank you so the thing with the self-pub you are right it gives you so much more and you can go on a site called canva c-a-n-v-a you could come up with the most beautiful covers you've seen them and it's like if the subtitle doesn't work, change the subtitle. You can't do that if you're with a traditional publisher because once it's out, it's out. Mm -hmm. So you have some modicum of control with uh, traditional, whereas you have a ton of control with self. But on the other hand, the traditional houses have so many more contacts and they have all that clout, so you really can't go up against that because you don't have a tenth of what they did. Who did your cover for Passages? I did. Oh, that's pretty yeah. impressive. Thank you. Yeah. Did you also do the book formatting? or Because I've heard horror stories about that. Yeah, the formatting was done. Um, editing was done by a friend. Amazon puts out these pages where you can read and you can find out what the formatting is supposed to be ahead of time. You can also go on YouTube. There's this big entourage of videos of people telling you how to format your book that's helpful also but in the end what you have to do is you just have to read each one it's like take barnes and noble their site you go on their site they'll tell you how to format it 
Roku, same thing. And if you do D to D, it just gets formatted in one shot and it goes boom straight out and they do it themselves. That's a huge selling point right there. Yeah. It is. I mean, I am way impressed with D2D. Uh, they have been on point with everything. So, what's been the most difficult part of the process for you? Spending hours in this chair. I'm not used to it. It's like, when I'm into writing, I can get two, three, sometimes four thousand words in a day. Uh, when I'm not writing and I'm fidgety... The only thing I can do is maybe get two or three pages out. It's, I treat it like a job. Mm -hmm. I'm semi-retired as it is. I treat it like a job. I usually try to get on this thing about three to four hours a day. Sometimes I only get an hour. Sometimes I'll be on this thing for 16 hours. But the hardest part is inventing. I take the Stephen King method of writing books. The gentleman is completely awesome. If I ever met him, I just want to shake his hand and say, thank you for guiding me. He's an intuitive writer. I remember looking at one of his interviews. He's an intuitive writer. He just says, write and see where the story takes you. I have done that with every one of these books. And right now, the book count is out to 10. I have 10 of them almost finished. One thing I did not realize about Stephen King, I used to read a lot of his short stories. And yeah. one collection, I forget which one, actually had a sports baseball short story about his son owen was apparently a, a pretty good baseball player and they made it to the world series and i don't think they won it but in the writing that he did for that was pretty riveting he's an excellent writer he really is mm -hmm. i don't know if you know the story of how he wrote um what was that one with the um dog Cujo. I was listening to him, and he says he had to get his motorcycle fixed. So he asked a guy in town up in Maine where he could get his bike fixed. And he told him he drove up there on the bike, and it's pretty well ready to die on me. He got it up there. And this big dog came down, and it looked like it wanted to eat him. The person stopped the dog, and he got the intuition to write Cujo. And, you know, it came out to be a movie and a bestseller. And all because he was having problems with his bike and somebody had a huge dog. Yeah. <laughs> I liked the movie. I thought it was great. <laughs> yeah. I've run into several Cujos. Yeah, I think we all have. <laughs> Getting back to the book, what are some of the ways that you're promoting this? I'm going by... As many guides as I can. First off, I'm going to, I research constantly. Every day I'm on this thing, finding new ways to research where I need to be to put this book in front of people. Mm -hmm. The D2D was a major upstep on that. The, tw my Twitter account, I burn Charles, hint. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, uh, it's huge. I'm up to six, seven hundred people right now, and they're retweeting everything that I put out. And that just goes out to multiple, multiplying, and you do a geometric regression on that. I can only imagine how many people it's actually hitting. I'm getting a lot of high-level authors coming on as uh, friends. And I talk to them occasionally. That's one way I do this. Um, mm -hmm. 
social media platforms are important. They very much are. Uh, Facebook, I've never really been a fan of Facebook, so I kind of stay off it. But Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, which is owned by Facebook, so shot myself in the foot on that one. <laughs> and a couple others that I use, uh, Pinterest, um, Readsy is another one that I'm on. And Goodreads I'm on also, I have to update that shortly. Uh, basically, anywhere and everywhere I can get this book in front of somebody, I do it. I'm shamelessly promoting myself. I'm surprised I don't have a t-shirt that says, Me, Arthur, buy book. Hey, you should buy one, or you should create one. That's an idea. I'm going to actually do that. Mm -hmm. Came up with another one. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so, how are you staying connected with your fans? You mentioned uh, Twitter. Are you, have you got a mailing list or? I have a list that's already about 900 strong. Oh, I wow. haven't put out my first newsletter yet. I'm getting ready to, I'm still trying to figure out the way of doing it. Sometimes they put it across like, okay, I'm not Einstein here. I'm just an author. Let's figure this out. And so once it's ready, I'll send it out to all 900 in a shot at one time. And then we'll see where it goes from there. I've also enlisted the aid of a few friends of mine, and they're using their sites and stuff to put their stuff out on my. I send them a blurb of my stuff. They'll put it out, and they tell me they're getting back a lot of good feed on that also. You've got the job of writing. You've got the job of farming, and you also have the job of marketing your book. So I'm pretty amazed at, that you have the time to do any of these. <laughs> There's nights where I don't sleep because I'm thinking that, okay, if I go this way instead of that way, and then I go up instead of down, it'll make a difference. And sometimes it actually does. Mm -hmm. I've had people offer me, like this one lady that I went through on Twitter. Her name is Mel Rock. I have to put it out there. Look her up. The absolute best in book marketing, period that I've ever used, my opinion only. Okay. So you can reach her on Fiverr. The lady's incredible. I went out, I did some advertising with her and everything else. The book spiked like I haven't seen yet. It's like, wow. Okay, so if we have any other authors out there, in addition to contacting Ogburn, you probably want to contact Melrock as well. Yeah, you can find her on Fiverr. And that's exactly the name she uses, is Mel Rock. And you tell her that Ogburn Charles sent you. Maybe she'll give me free press. I don't know. Okay. Now, what's next for you? You've got a number of books due out soon. Can you tell us about those? Yeah. The next one up, as I said earlier, is Ancients Volume 1. So it's basically real fast about an antediluvian city that's rising again after several millennia of being earth and i'm not going to give away much more than that right now because it's not ready and i haven't done much advertising on it yet okay the other ones uh ai artificial intelligence that's due out this winter i have a uh another one it's called um tempest that one i'll get back to in a second because i need some explanation because that one steps on a lot of buttons that people don't like mr times that's my traditionally published one the first one, volume of five, is coming out in late August, if they hold to the schedule. 
I have the prototype copy right now of the, the proof, I guess they call it, of the cover. I put it on my Twitter, so if somebody wants to go look, they can. It's also on my LinkedIn. Then after that, I've got another one called Destroyer Shockwave and a couple others that I can't even think of right off the bat right now. Wow, so you, you've got a number in the works then. Yeah, I'm, my fingers, I'm surprised that I have fingers left. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, yeah, I am very, very busy. I am looking for somebody right now that wants to be a beta reader, a proofreader, and I could use an editor, somebody that knows what they're doing. Mm-hmm. No. Yeah, because I don't have a lot of time with this. Yeah, you put a punctuation in the wrong spot and you look like a yo-yo. Yep. Uh-oh. You don't want to do that. I had that happen to me once. A gentleman told me I, he had to put the book down because it was so bad. Ouch. Like looking at it, I'm going, ow, that hurt. But it also, at the same time, motivated me. So now we have what we have, and I learned from it. Life is a learning experience. So yeah. there you go. That's what it is. So let's talk about Tempest. I'll let you describe it. Tempest, before I tell you what the cover about, is a very dark work. It's the only one that I'm likely to ever do because I don't believe in bad endings. Mm-hmm. This is rooted in the World War II, 1943-ish. The cover itself is a swastika with a golden eagle on it. It's about the Germans. But it's not only about the Germans. It's about the duplicity of the governments of the world in hiding something that is called Tempest. And this book does not pull any punches. This book lists the atrocities that were done to the Jews. I'm not pulling any punches because if you don't learn from history, you're going to repeat it. Look what we got going on now. Yeah. Somebody's going to have to stop this guy soon, and we're going to end up with another major war, and we're going to repeat Hitler all over again. That's my opinion. I don't disagree with that. The thing with Tempest is, right now, it's in its third draft. I've been playing with this book for seven years. Seven years of research into the Nazis, what they were doing, how they were doing it, when they did it, why they did it. I'm not saying I'm an expert, but I'm knowledgeable. I've went to some of their places. Auschwitz? Unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can't walk in a place without crying. I'm 60-plus years old, and they had tears. What they did to those people was unbelievable. Yeah. And what they're doing to those people now is unbelievable. I'm sorry I'm going off on a tangent again. Uh, that's okay. We, my wife and I took a trip to Washington. It's been four or five years ago, and we, we went to the Holocaust Museum. And you just go through like this maze of exhibits. And I, I don't want to say that lightly in that they're all, it's just horrifying what the Nazis did to the Jews. Yeah. One exhibit was just a mound of shoes 
And those were all the people's shoes that they confiscated before they went to the gas chambers. Yeah, well, there were other piles too, but we won't get into that because you're already in Selena. I want yeah. to hear it. The uh, book itself, when it's done, will be about 340 pages. Okay. So I'm considering breaking it into a set because it's a lengthy read. I don't want it to be War and Peace. Right. But uh, it covers the duplicity of the United States, Operation Paperclip, um, all of the bringing the Nazis over here in the early years to work for NASA. It, it's in there. Um, Operation Odessa is in there. All of that stuff where the people over there, I'm not going to start with that because that would ruffle feathers and I don't really want to do that that's in the book. Right. Let's just say that it's extremely dark and there's a lot of death in that book. But I had to do it because I believe in my own self that if you don't learn, you're going to repeat it. So that book, I've been working on it a little bit, but with the schedule I have right now, it won't be out until next year sometime. Well, with a topic like that, you definitely don't want to rush it. You want to take your time and get it right. Yeah. Yeah, it's just... I'm just thinking about it. This is like, <laughs> hey, you've mentioned traveling all over the globe. Do you have some yeah. interesting stories or memorable sites that uh, you'd like to tell us about, or that you can yeah. talk about that you've incorporated into your books? Or, oh, well, in the uh, passages we've already talked about the Native American, the Cree, the Cherokee legends, some of the Mobutu tribe that I tossed in there also from Africa. Um, I actually visited Timbuktu. <clears throat> we'll say, well, I'm in Timbuktu. There is a place called Timbuktu. It's, it used to be a town, village, city on the lines, um, the trade lines centuries ago. Now it's pretty much run down. There's hardly anybody around. It's, there are people still there, but I only spent an hour there, so I moved on really quickly. The, uh, there's a place in Algeria, it's called the Eye of the Desert, been there. You can look that up on Google, it actually looks like an eye from space. Okay. Some people are saying it was an, uh, some people are saying it was a, uh, asteroid impact, other people are saying it's media volcanism. Take your pick, I don't know, but it was just interesting, so I decided to do it. Yeah. Uh, I've seen the pyramids. I've been through the Middle East a couple times. Tried speaking Farsi a couple of times, never quite got that right. For all I know, I was asking a guy what his shoe size was. <laughs> that could be a bad. Uh, that could be a bad mistake there. Uh, yeah, it could. But they're respectable people, but they have their ways set in their own traditions and the way they do things. So you kind of watch yourself when you're there. I have good respect for them, though. Now, the, when, go ahead. When you tra when you travel to all these places, were you? Did you do it on your own dime or Uncle Sam's or combination? A combination. I was a soldier for a long time, and I traveled a lot through that. But in times, I did it a lot on my own also. Um, England, I went to Stonehenge. That's an interesting place. Before they started gating it off, that was years ago. Okay. Then some of the other Paleolithic sites, there's... 
one in France where they have the dogs that are standing up right in the field, but I don't remember its name right off the bat. I've been there also. The I wanted to go to Russia, but I never quite made it in there. As close as I got was uh, Siberia, but I had to cross over from Alaska. Mm-hmm. And I was there for a day or so. And I used to live in Alaska. I've been everywhere, yeah. pretty much. I'm laughing. The only place... I'm laughing yeah. because you're probably the one person that wanted to go to Siberia. <laughs> yeah, well, when they say it's minus 97, they're not kidding. Yeah. I was wearing a ski jacket at the time. It was like I was wearing a t-shirt. Yeah, uh, minus 20, and I, it was the coldest I've ever been, and I, that was also in Alaska. And it just was not a, uh, a pleasant feeling, so I can't even mm-hmm. imagine minus 97. <laughs> I have another book that's coming out uh, also. It's called The Paranormal Life. I'll say more on that later at some point because it's just a concept right now and I'm not really even worrying about it, but I just thought I'd bring it up for a topic. Okay. The, uh, the one place that I went to and I thought that it was absolutely astonishing was Greece. I went to Greece and I visited the temples and they have them all gated off now because you can't get in there. But back in the day with regarding Tempest, they were all over the place. And it's like, you get a feel for what the different peoples in the world are like. That's why I say we're all one big, maybe not so happy family, as you put it. There's just too many cultural differences and not enough people are actually taking the time to notice each other. Yeah. So I blame the internet for that. Yeah. I think we all have. So yeah, that's where I'm at as far as travels is concerned. The the other place I'd like to go is uh, that I haven't been to yet. And this is kind of funny. It's on my bucket list. There's two places. Okay. One's the Grand Canyon. Haven't been there yet. Everywhere else except the Grand Canyon. Go figure that one out. Yeah. Yeah, that and the Redwood Forest in Alaska. I want to go to both. Hey, you seems like you would have had the opportunity when you were in Alaska. Just didn't get around to it? or No, I didn't. I was too busy out there gold panning and looking for gemstones. I'm, I'm a nut when it comes to that kind of stuff. I gold pan to this day, but believe me, Ohio doesn't have a whole lot of stuff. Yeah. So, uh... There was uh, something I put out on my Twitter a couple weeks ago, and it's almost running out now. But for that entire month, the earnings that I would have gotten from any book sales and everything, Mm -hmm. I want to extend that out another month here on this. I'm going to donate it to the Ukrainians. They need it more than I do. Okay. That's very, very generous of you. Well, they do. They need as much help as they can get. Yeah, they they definitely do. Yeah. It's out in digital form right now. I'm not doing a paperback on it for a while. Amazon has some crazy stuff I have to go through to get that done. And the other one, I'm just not interested in a paperback at this time because digital is a lot easier and a lot faster to get yeah. to people. I can understand that. Yeah. Well, let's get ready to wrap this up. What book do you currently recommend to move someone that's interested in becoming an author to actually becoming an author 
That's easy. Stephen King's How to Write. Stephen King's How to Write. Okay. Yeah. I have to look that one up. The man's a genius. He knows exactly what he's talking about. Is there a piece of software or app that you find indispensable when you're writing? Oh, yeah. Grammarly. Grammarly. Okay. I could see where that would be a a big help. Yeah, I have a subscription to Grammarly right now for the next year or so. I just run all my stuff through it that tells me, hey, put this here instead of over there. It makes you look better. <laughs> okay. Now, lastly, what's the number one piece of advice that you can give for our listeners? That's there's so many things that are running through my head. But uh, the first thing that comes to my mind is that Treat each other the way they're supposed to be treated. Don't disrespect each other because if you do, there's things coming down the road. You're seeing it now. And we don't need this kind of crap. We all need to get along. I would say that's good advice. Well, that's a wrap. Thank you, Ogburn, for being a guest on Entrepreneurs Over 40. And I thank you for the time. If you'd like to leave feedback on this episode or suggest a guest, you can reach me at eo40show at gmail.com. That's eo40show at gmail.com. Don't forget to subscribe in your favorite podcast app so that you don't miss it or any other episodes. Thank you for listening to Entrepreneurs Over 40. Check us out at entrepreneursover40.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcast directory.